south of the border, down Mexico way. That's where I fell in love when the stars above came out to play. And now as I wander. Hello there, all you expat wannabes. I'm Johnny Mueller, and you're listening to The Expat Files, Living in Latin America, the show that tells you just what it's like to live, work, play, and or retire down here in Latin America. It's a mix of the good, the bad, the ugly, and the great, and it's all right here, so let's get started. This show first goes out on December 31st, 2023, so it's the last day of the year. Meaning, if you've got any unfinished business from 2023, You've got some bothersome loose ends or you're just a chronic procrastinator. You got a couple hours to make things right and start the new year with a clean slate. And don't we all want to do that? (laughs) Hey, how about starting off the new year with a plan B? Get the hell out of Dodge. Sound good? Anyway, if you heard the previous show, you know I didn't have enough time to finish off that Boots on the Ground store. You know, the one where I mentioned I was at a Christmas party last week thrown by that company, the internet company, Clado, owned by fat boy Carlos Sim. You've heard of him, right? Richest guy in Mexico. Anyway, last week I was at a huge freebie bash, and I was stuck at a table. Actually, I wasn't stuck at a table. I chose to sit there because the group looked interesting. Three or four beautiful young Latinas and a gay guy, along with three empty chairs. Come on, if you came alone... Would you sit there? Who wouldn't? I mean, look, three beautiful, or was it four, unaccompanied Latinas. Oh, and their best buddy, a gay guy. I just knew the conversation was going to be interesting, and it was. So then you might ask, how did I know he was a gay guy? Well, probably because he wore makeup and had jellish fingernails. (laughs) So anyway, no one else at that table, a couple extra chairs, so I sat down. And they assumed, naturally, because I was the only gringo in the house, probably two or three hundred people there, that I didn't speak any Spanish. That's the normal assumption. Sure, they politely acknowledged me when I sat down, you know. They used their 10 or 20 words of English on me, starting with, nice to meet you. (laughs) And, where'd you from? But soon enough, they were back to talking to each other in pure Spanish. Never for a moment thinking I was eavesdropping on their conversation. Because they assumed, like almost all Latinos do, visiting gringos are rarely fluent in Spanish. So they just carry on with their normal conversation in Spanish as if you're not even there. But then again, so do gringos and expats when the tables are reversed. That is, most gringos and expats carry on speaking English when there's Latinos or Latinas present thinking their English sucks or is non-existent. So we carry on with our conversations in English as if they're not in the room either. So in effect, it's not about rudeness, but assumptions. We assume their English sucks or is non-existent, and they assume our Spanish sucks or is non-existent. By the way, it's kind of a strange thing when you're the only gringo in the place. Have you ever been in that situation? Have you ever thought about it? Just come on down and hang off the gringo tourist trail for a while and you'll see what I mean. So anyway, at the very end of my last show, I mentioned what happened at that Christmas party. I overheard one of the Latinas talking about how she had a meeting that morning with her boss who was sizing her up for a promotion. Well, he was sizing her up all right. She reported how the guy had his hand on her leg and was working his way up, in effect laying down some not-so-subtle conditions for her promotion. And when she told that repulsive tale, 
One of the other ladies topped that story by far with one of her own that dated back a few years when she was in university getting a business degree. Her story involved a married professor who was in love with her. Turns out she'd taken a couple of courses from the guy. He was an economics professor. Yet for two whole years, her freshman and sophomore year, he never let on that he had a crush on her. But in her junior year course with the guy, he sprung it on her. That's when he sat her down in private one day and asked her to be his live-in mistress. He was so sure of himself, he even proceeded to lay out a very detailed and complete proposition to her on exactly how he wanted it to play out. Well, she was shocked, all right, but in the end, she foiled his plans. In fact, you could say she got some sweet revenge. If you want to know how she did it, go back to the last show. It's all spelled out there. Now, to get on with this story, since two of the ladies at the table revealed their own macho abuse of power stories, it seemed like everyone wanted to get into the act. So, the third young lady at the table chimed in with a topper of her own. Now, remember, they're telling these stories out loud and right in front of me, thinking I don't know any Spanish at all. They acted as if I wasn't even there. You can bet if there were any Latino guys sitting at that table, or they knew that I could speak some Spanish. Those stories and the subject of macho male abuse of power would never have come up. Wait a minute, wait a minute, I take that back. There was a Latino guy sitting at the table, but he was gay. So, I guess in their minds, he was just one of the girls. So, anyway, the third young lady opened up with her story by saying, I was driving my crappy little car to work one day. And it broke down right in front of the military base that's on the road on the way to work. She said the car just chugged to a halt. So I got out of the car, walked around it a few times, not knowing what to do, pulled out my phone and started calling people. But it was a work day. I was walking around the car, talking on the phone, couldn't get a hold of my two brothers. And suddenly, a military car pulled up behind me. A soldier got out, asked me what was wrong. I didn't know. The car just stopped running. He said, maybe I can help. He got on his phone, called someone. Within two minutes, the gates to the military base opened. Another car came out. A soldier jumped out of that car, saluted the first guy, who I soon found out was the general of that military base. Then another military vehicle came through the gate, this time with two mechanics in it. The general said, let's go have a cup of coffee while these guys fix your car. So, she said, I got in his vehicle. He had a driver who took us to a restaurant just two blocks away. We sat and had coffee for about half an hour, talked a little, exchanged phone numbers, came back to my car, was completely fixed. We said goodbye, and that was it. At least I thought that was it. Next day, he called me. Then she told her girlfriends, this general guy was pretty elegant, about 55 or 60 years old, whitish gray hair. Nice guy, very good manners. By the way, the lady telling the story said she was about 25 when the incident happened. Now, she wasn't married, but of course, she had a boyfriend. And she let the general know that. Anyway, she said the general called her a few times, and they had coffee a few times during the day. Nothing like a formal date or anything. He was a gentleman, she said, no pressure. Then she said, about the fourth time at the coffee shop, the general said he was married had a couple of kids who were grown up and out of the house. He said he loved his wife, had no intention of leaving her. But there was no spark or mystery in his relation with her anymore. 
So he said it was time he took a mistress, and he asked the young Latina if she was interested. But before she could process it or even get out a word, he said he would set her up in a beautiful apartment, get her a brand new car, give her a generous monthly allowance. There were two conditions, though. She couldn't have any other boyfriends or lovers, and she had to be on birth control so there would be no risk of having kids. For a general, a pregnant mistress would be just too much of a scandal. Now, while I was listening to this, I was thinking, yeah, right, it wouldn't be a scandal if the world found out he had a double life with a mistress who he set up in an apartment, etc., etc. In his mind, that would be okay. That was tolerable. But having a kid? Uh Uh-uh. That would be pushing the limit. Hmm, only in Latin America, huh? Well, in the end, she turned the general down. She said he took it well, though, like a gentleman. They parted as friends, she said, and though they never spoke again, she knew if she ever needed a friend or advice, she could call on the guy. After all, a general in any man's army is a good man to know, even if he is a macho jerk. So anyway, bottom line, all three of the girls at that table had been in a situation where there was an obvious macho abuse of power. It's just so very common down here. You hear variations on that theme all the time. The ladies, especially the young pretty ones, are used to it. And it's also, by all accounts, one of the main reasons why Latinas of all stripes prefer gringos and expats in the mating, dating, love, and romance department. It seems right or wrong, we've been stereotyped as a more honest, dependable, and trustworthy sort. And I have to say, it's mostly true. Sure, there are lots of gringos and expats who are jerks, womanizers, guys who act in bad faith, etc., etc., but in no way do we compare it to the average macho Latino, who, married or not, are always on the lookout for that next conquest. I could tell you endless stories how these Latino macho jerks shit on their women. Nice, beautiful, loyal women who don't deserve it. Of course, some Latin women go bad, but they usually go bad after they've been serially cheated on and or abandoned and left with a kid or two. You can see how that could tend to harden up a certain percentage of women in a hurry, especially when their dads, brothers, and uncles have the same faults. By the way, I've seen in action the proof that gringo guys are generally nice, respectable guys. I'm talking about gringo guys and expats that come down here to live, not your surfer dude, spring break college party guys down here just to get high and screw around. American high school and college kids on spring break can be pretty crude. Then again, their brains aren't fully formed yet either. The difference is, adult gringos who come down here to live and retire sort of fit that nice, dependable guy stereotype much favored by Latinas. I've seen a lot of proof of that myself. I've met a number of gringos who had Latina girlfriends who ended up pregnant. Whether advertently, inadvertently, or even tricked into it, the gringo guy will take responsibility, fess up, and pay child support. And even if they've long since broken up, practically all of them support the kid. On the other hand, I've met many, many Latinas with kids whose Latino father abandoned them. The vast majority of those guys disappear or will only show up on birthdays and Christmas with a present. Oh, and there's another thing in a gringo's favor when we're talking about love and romance here in Latin America. I've met plenty of gringos, too, who've hooked up with a Latina, whether legally by marriage or just living together. The Latina comes with her baggage, a kid or two, and the gringo gladly supports the whole family, mother and kids. Well, maybe not always gladly, but he does support them. 
which really isn't a stretch because, you know, things are really cheap down here. And since most often the real daddy has abandoned those kids, the gringle will even adopt them legally. I've seen it happen. You know, the expat friend I talk about once in a while, ex-corrupt Boston cop Bob is one of those guys. Oh, and by the way, I learned something else at that little get-together, at my little eavesdropping session. When those three ladies finished their stories, their gay friend with the perfect nails and hair waved his hands and exclaimed, You know what? I'm jealous. How come that stuff never happens to me? (laughs) Then one of the ladies said, Come on, it is happening to you right now. Then one of the other ladies said, Oh, really? Tell us, tell us. Well, that's when I got another earful. The guy explained that there's a gay connection site he's been on, a gay love connection app that hooks up American gay guys living in the States, basically older sugar daddy gays, with young, handsome, broke Latino guys. The point of which is for the wealthy stateside gay guy. Or maybe he's not really wealthy, just American middle class, which is basically wealthy compared to Latinos. Anyway. It's a meeting place for older gays up in the States to hook up with young, handsome, broke Latinos. Sponsor them for a tourist visa to the States to visit and hang with the promise of marriage, which is legal for gays up in the States. Apparently, the site is super popular because the older stateside gay guys on the site are ready to settle down, as we all are pretty much when we get older. And the young Latino gays on the other end are broke and will do anything to get legal residency in the States. I mean, look, the bar, disco, and party till the wee hours of the morning is not a good look for a 40, 50, or 60-year-old, gay or straight. So anyway, on that dating app, an older gay guy from the States will invite a young, handsome gay guy from Latin America, sponsor his tourist visa. In exchange, the older guy gets a hot young lover. And the young Latino guy ends up with a permanent visa and legal marriage to the older guy, who can support him financially in a way that never would have been possible had the young guy stayed in Latin America. So in the end, both parties feel it's a pretty good deal. He explained all that to the other girls who didn't know the story. He then showed the girls on his WhatsApp pictures of his American sugar daddy sponsor. Nope, he didn't show me. Remember, that was just a fly on the wall. Then one of the ladies said, well, why aren't you with them up there in the States right now then? He said, because the process to get a visa to the States through a sponsorship deal like that takes about six months. The final step, he said, is going on the American Embassy website and scheduling an appointment for a personal interview, which he said was coming up in about two months. He also admitted he was very nervous about that interview because he said they're going to ask him a lot of personal questions about his new, quote, fiancé in the States. Apparently, the U.S. won't grant a visa like that unless you've met the person, not just online, but really in person. So his new sugar daddy, who he's never met, will be coming down for a visit shortly. He said his friends coming down, he booked a resort for a week where they'll meet in person and get to know each other. He admitted he was really nervous about that, too. Anyway, he said there's a certain protocol you have to follow to get a tourist visa for the purpose of getting married to someone up in the States. They're pretty strict about it. U.S. Embassy immigration people aren't stupid, he said. There are lots of websites where Latinos can meet up with Americans online, pay them five or 10,000 bucks to arrange a marriage of convenience. So when you go to the U.S. Embassy to have that exit interview, you better know all the details about the person you're marrying 
and you better have met them face-to-face a few times. Or they'll know it's a marriage of convenience, a residency for a money scam. And then black it. Though, that kind of stuff goes on all the time. In fact, I've met quite a few Latin American ladies with friends who've gotten their U.S. residency that way. Of course, both parties are well aware it's a marriage of convenience, nothing to do with love and romance. There are no other expectations, generally. And a legal divorce after some time passes is part of the plan. So, the plan is, you go to the States and you can let some time lapse, get a divorce, and now that you've got permanent residency, do your own thing legally in the States from there. Yeah, I know, the system's broken, but we knew that already. Which begs the question, how is your plan B coming? However, that dating app for older American gay guys hooking up with young gay guys here in Latin America, that app's not about the money. It's about an older, established, wealthier guy hooking up with a young, needy, and broke, what do they call them, toy boys, who really can't escape or fly the coop or lose that legal residency status. So then is it a fair exchange? Well, maybe. Then again, maybe it's reason 6,256 through 72 why it's time to get the hell out of Dodge. (laughs) Meanwhile, in transit news in Cuenca, Ecuador, they've got a new surface tram system. And according to Marcelo Torri, the system director, there were 20 severe collisions between trams and motor vehicles in 2023. With all accidents, he says, resulting from driver error. He insists there have been no accidents caused by tram operator error. It says all accidents reported have been caused when motor vehicle drivers did not respect red lights or when they were going the wrong way or made illegal turns onto the train tracks. According to the tram system director, most drivers who caused those accidents have paid for repairs to the damaged tram cars with the average cost ranging from $1,500 to $3,000, though some were hit and runs. With the vast majority of motor vehicles in those collisions being, you guessed it, those cucarachas of the open road, motorcycles. Just further evidence that having a nice, shiny, brand new, expensive car in Latin America is not recommended. Man, I learned my lesson. In the first couple of years down here in Latin America, I bought a couple of brand new cars. They gave me nothing but anxiety and stress. In fact, you long-time listeners might have heard me tell the story about how I bought a brand new Toyota 4Runner, one of the last model years where they actually had heavy chrome bumpers, real chrome, not plastic. I only kept the thing, I think, a year and a half because in that time, I had to get that bumper re-chromed no less than six times. I think it only cost something like 50 bucks a crack, but I'd take the bumper off, take it down to the chrome shop, leave it there for a week while they did the work. Go back down, pick it up, rebolt it on the car, only to have it within a couple months dinged and scratched again. Or I could have done as most Latin Americans do. Leave it be. Just accumulate massive quantities of parking lot dings and scratches. Blend right in with everyone else. And when you're sick and tired of looking at it, have the whole car repainted and rechromed. Which, by the way, most Latinos won't even do, even when they've got a fairly new car. The thing is, if you're a finicky gringo or expat, and like nice things like me. That is, you like keeping your things nice. Well, no problem. You can do that all day long in your house or apartment. When it comes to cars, forget about it. You'll tear your hair out if you're finicky. That was one of the hardest things for me to keep cool about. The fact that you'll never be able to maintain your car in pristine condition unless it's forever in your garage. So the question I get asked a lot is, should you or shouldn't you get your car repainted or touched up when you get some dings and scratches in it. 
Well, the fact is most newbie gringos and expats who come down here, they buy a car that's fairly newer, sometimes brand new, and they go through the same thought process as I did. When your car gets dinged and scratched, you get it fixed, right? Because up in the States, people sort of judge you by the way you take care of your car. If you have a dent or a big scratch, you get it fixed or you get the evil eye. At least in the Chicagoland neighborhood where I came from. Let's put it this way. You didn't want to show up for a job interview in a shit car. If yours was kind of a junk, you'd borrow your mom or dad's car. Man, I'll tell you, my mom and dad's cars, they weren't luxury at all. They were utility vehicles, you know, Chevys and Hondas. But pristine. And if there was a scratch or ding, it'd be fixed within the week. Oh, and in other Ecuador news this week, you longtime listeners have heard me say over and over again, you should not count on the national healthcare systems in any Latin country. No matter what they promise, what they claim, and what kind of money they say they're pumping into the system, they're all a complete wreck. I know, I know, international living and some of the other rags will tell you how Costa Rica and Colombia and Ecuador have great national healthcare systems and you could get on board for pennies a month. Well, go ahead, sign up and see if you believe that kind of propaganda. But first, listen to this. Just this week, it's been announced that Ecuador's cancer hospitals, wait a minute, let me translate this to English exactly. It says Ecuador's cancer hospitals announced Thursday they're no longer accepting new public health and social security patients with cancer. Director Raul Alvarado said the termination of services to newly diagnosed cancer patients was due to the lack of payment from the government for previous treatments rendered. In fact, he's quoted here as saying, it's important that the people of Ecuador understand that the public health ministry and the IESS Health Service have not paid their bills. Further stating, the non-payment situation has reached a critical point. According to Alvarado, this is the third time in the last 18 months they've been forced to suspend service for newly diagnosed cancer patients. Hmm, how nice. Then it says, according to Ecuador's Ministry of Finance, the public debt in arrears to just the Cuenca Ecuador National Health Care Service is 15 million bucks. Hmm, so how does that make you feel about your plans to come on down and get on one of those great Latin American national health care systems? Not to worry, though. Don't panic. You know, if you come down here to Latin America, you can get on any one of a number of fantastic private health care plans. I said private, not public national health care. The cost, around 100 bucks a month. Most people pay their premium monthly by a direct deposit, but I pay six months at a time. Cost me about 550 bucks for six months coverage. Like I said, down here you can pay monthly, or if you pay six months ahead, you get a 5% discount. You pay a year ahead, you get a 10% discount. That's pretty much standard for most health insurance plans. The only thing you really have to watch out for is the age limit on getting into the plan. It's usually 59 or 64 in some cases. Now, if you come down and you're over that age limit, all is not lost either. There are private plans, but you have fewer options. By the way, for those of you coming to my March 2024 Expat Insider Seminar, I'll be explaining all that in great detail. Remember, if you want to get a two to five year head start on your plan B, come down to my March 2024 Expat Insider Seminar. We'll be starting out in the Guatemalan Altiplano region. You'll love that. Then head down to El Salvador to the famous Bitcoin Beach area. For all the details, agenda, and sign-up info, just go to expatplanb.com and click on the seminar link. By the way, everybody's wondering what's happening down in Argentina now that the new president, Malay, has taken over. Well, you know what? To get the pulse on the situation, I'm going to take a trip down there, I think in July or August sometime. 
after Malay's done a good bit of slashing and burning. I'm going to give it six months. I'm going down there. I'd like to see firsthand what's going on, especially with the real estate situation. You know, Malay has just this last week devalued the Argentine peso by 50%. That means, for the moment anyway, everything you buy in stores, and that includes real estate too, has taken a 50% haircut. That means if you have dollars, you've doubled your purchasing power, at least for the time being. Though, remember, in Argentina, almost nobody has dollars, and people who do are stuck with severe currency controls. I mean, look, there's almost 200% inflation there, right? Anyway, if you have U.S. dollar bank account, you can only take out, I think it's 200 or 250 a month. Yet, if you look at the real estate listings, everything's priced in dollars. How is that possible? How, for example, can you buy, let's say, a place for 200000 bucks when you can only take $250 out of the bank a month? I understand people show up at property closings with suitcases full of cash, pesos or dollars. The question is, how do people accumulate those quantities of dollars if you can only take out 200 or 250 a month? It's a mystery I plan on solving by taking a trip down there. In other good Argentine news, Millet, the new president, has cut 5,000 government jobs just this week. Tell me that's not a good start. Better yet, in the government's official publication, called the Argentine Gazette. The new presidents spelled out over 300 government reforms, all to take place at once. For example, among other things, it repeals certain laws, eliminates dozens of state regulations and taxes, enables privatization of public enterprises, opens the door to dollarization, and gives the green light to making the labor market and health system open for private bidding and thus much more flexible. Of course, there are government workers and teachers out in the streets protesting. Everyone figured that would happen. After all, with nearly 200% in year-over-year inflation, Malay promised to clean things up wouldn't be easy. There would be a lot of pain. And the people knew it. They bought that. They voted him in. Now, as it turns out, this decree with its 300 government modifications, it's supposed to go into effect this Friday. But the two chambers of Congress have to vote on it. If just one of the chambers votes yes, it becomes law. By the way, Millet says he suspects Congress will vote no on it. Because, and here's a quote, he says, some legislators seek bribes. He says there are lots of crooks and freeloaders in the Argentine legislature. In that case, he says, if they vote it down, he will call for a plebiscite, which means the public will vote on the issue. According to the Argentine Constitution, a plebiscite can overrule Congress. Meanwhile, government workers and teachers have taken to the streets and are putting up all kinds of roadblocks. So, it's not recommended you take a little vacation down there for a couple of months till things cool down and are sorted out a bit. As for me, I really, really like what the guy's doing. When he says he's going to clean out the swamp, man, it's not populist rhetoric. Just hope he doesn't get bumped off. Isn't it funny, though, almost all of the people who have taken to the streets in Argentina are unionized government workers, some of the deadest wood in all society. That is, aside from the thieving, lard-ass political classes, of course. 
You've been listening to The Expat Files, living in Latin America. If you need some help with your own Plan B, we can schedule a one-on-one phone or Skype consult. Just send me an email, theexpatfiles at gmail.com. And if you want to get on the waiting list for my next week-long expat insider seminar in Central America, where you're guaranteed to get a two- to five-year head start on your Plan B, send me an email, theexpatfiles at gmail.com. Nos vemos.